Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Give us eyes to see you, ears to see you, and courage to follow you. Pour out your spirit in this place, and you may see more hope, more peace, more joy, more love. Amen. Our scripture reading today comes from Luke. Our scripture reading today comes from Luke 1 through 5, chapter 1, verses 5 through 25, and verses 57 through 80. During the rule of King Herod of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abba. His wife, Elizabeth, was a descendant of Aaron. They were both righteous before God, blameless in their observations of all the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to become pregnant, and they both were very old. One day, Zechariah was serving as a priest before God because his priestly division was on duty. Following the customs of priestly service, he was chosen by lottery to go into the Lord's sanctuary and burn incense. All the people who gathered to worship were praying outside during the hour of incense offering. An angel from the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah when Zachariah saw the angel, he was startled and overcome with fear. The angel said, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been answered. Your wife Elizabeth will give birth to your son, and you must name him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many people will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the Lord's eyes. He must not drink wine or liquor. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. He will bring many Israelites back to the Lord their God. He will go, fought, he will go forth before the Lord, equipped with the spirit and power of Eliza. He will turn the hearts of fathers back to their children, and he will turn the disobedient to righteous patterns of thinking. He will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure of this? My wife and I are very old. The angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in God's presence. I was sent to speak to you and to bring the good news to you. Know this, what I have spoken will come true at the proper time. But because you didn't believe, you will remain silent, unable to speak until the day when these things happen. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they wondered why he was in the sanctuary for such a long time. When he came out, he was unable to speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he gestured to them and couldn't speak. When he, com- when he completed the day of, of his priestly service, he returned home. Afterward, his, life, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. She kept to herself for five months, saying, This is the Lord's doing. He has shown his favor to me by removing my disgrace among other people. When the time came for Elizabeth to have her child, she gave birth to a boy. Her neighbors and relatives celebrated with her because they had heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy. On the eighth day it came to circumcise the child. They wanted to name him Zachariah because that was his father's name. But his mother replied, no, his name will be John. They said to her, none of your relatives have that name. Then they began gesturing to his father to see what he wanted to call him. After asking for a tablet, he surprised everyone by writing, his name is John. At that moment, Zachariah was able to speak again and he began praising God. All their neighbors were filled with awe, and everyone thought the Judean, the Judean highlands talked about what had happened. The child grew up and became strong in character. He was in the wilderness until he began his public ministry to Israel. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks. I'm feeling the need to say thank you to Maddie 
for reading half the Bible. <laughs> you did really good. So make ready a people. We began our series on Advent today, looking at angels among us and beginning to look at what it means to be a people that uh, bring messages and allow for heaven to break in to earth. Now, Advent is often about waiting, and um, you, you know, waiting can be hard. Uh, I, I remember as a kiddo, um, when we went on vacation, um, it was always by car, and it was always to a relative's house. Yes, we were those people. And this is back before you had, you know, the Suburbans and the urban assault vehicles and the uh, minivans and all of those things, right? We had a four-door sedan. <clears throat> and if you haven't noticed already, I'm a little brother. I mean, like, through and through, little brother. I had an older sister. Uh, when there's two in the family like that, I sat on one side, usually uh, behind mom, and my sister sat on the other side, usually behind dad. I found out later that was because dad could then reach me. Um, and so everybody had their games that they played, waiting games. I'm sure you had games that you played for waiting. Um, I had my own game that I played. I couldn't really get anybody else to play with me. Um, it was the I'm not touching you game. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. My parents had a game they liked for us to play. It was called the silent game. I didn't find it very fun. How long can you be silent for? Let's count the miles. Yeah, I'm not really in it, Dad. Um, there were a lot of games, um, a, a, a lot of waiting games, a, a lot of, um, you know, kind of um, 10 hours to grandmother's house waiting games. What's interesting about Advent is that the Israelites have been waiting as well. They've been waiting for hundreds of years. Um, they've been waiting for the Messiah to come. And this waiting game has been hard because uh, they wait without power. They've been conquered by Rome. They're a vassal state. Um, they have to endure uh, King Herod, who is a pretender to the throne. And they're waiting. Waiting. I wonder, when we think about time, it gets punctuated by certain events. And I'd really love um, for you to think for a moment, what are the defining moments in your life? Or better yet, kind of generationally, when you think about your generation, what is that moment that defines your generation or that historical event that seemed to mean that everything that came after it would be different? You know, when we're able to punctuate time like that, it makes the waiting a little bit easier. When I was reading a, um, um, I was reading a Pew Research article from 2016 that uh, polled, um, uh, a significant population of the United States based upon uh, generational definitions. And they asked them, what's your most defining moment of your generation? And you could uh, imagine with me that the silent or greatest generation, that defining moment was uh, in the midst of World War II and the storming of the beaches of Normandy, right? Uh, when we think about baby boomers, um, baby boomers might say the assassination of JFK or the landing um, of the astronauts on the moon. When I think about my generation, uh, Gen Xers, uh, I think about the Challenger uh, disaster. Uh, the little strange thing about me is I, I was born in Cocoa Beach, Florida. Um, I, I went to Cape View Elementary School, which was literally about three miles from Kennedy Space Center. Um, that for most of my life, we had the uh, privilege of being able to walk outside 
um, and to see the launches go off. In fact, at my house, um, you could watch the launch of a shuttle as it cleared the tower on TV. You could walk outside to the backyard and see it roll and head down the coast. And so for me, that Challenger accident it was, it was the first shuttle to carry a, a teacher. Uh, you know, it was a powerful moment in the midst of my community and also, I think, for my generation. When we started asking questions about millennials, uh, millennials define those events in an interesting way. Um, some define it in terms of the 2008 financial recession. Um, I, I found it really, so, so I have to say, I, um, uh, I uh, uh, did my own poll of millennials. I, some of my best friends are millennials. I, I know people that are that age. Um, <laughs> glad some of you laughed. Okay, it was a bad joke, but I tried. Um, so that 2008 financial recession, I, I said, why was that important? Um, one millennial said because it was one of those um, sounding bells that let us know that maybe we wouldn't be better off than our parents were um, as we grew into adulthood. When you look at things like the Columbine uh, school shooting or the Sandy Hook massacre, those two are uh, moments in which millennials will identify were defining moments. And I talked to one millennial that said that the debut world premiere drop of the iPhone was a defining moment for his generation. I want to say, really? Wasn't that true for all of us? You know? <laughs> um, but across the board, a defining moment for everyone, regardless of race, economic class, or age. Uh, at least when 2016, uh, the survey happened in 2016, uh, was 9-11. Uh, not just the violence and tragedy of the attacks, but also uh, the ability for us to come together and to care for each other and to look for hope. What are those defining moments? Those moments when, it's, it's one of those moments when you know that everything after this is gonna be different because of this moment. What was that time? Now, you don't have to think generationally, but I wonder just think personally. Um, and it doesn't have to always be negative things, right? It, it's quick for, you know, for me to think about the things that define uh, how everything's gonna be different afterwards, where nothing's going to be the same. Well, I think back to when my dad called me and said, your mom and I are having a divorce. Um, I, I think back to the time when the doctor came back in with the x-rays and said, um, you're gonna have to have surgery. Um, we're concerned about cancer. I, you know, I can remember all of those moments but they're not just the negative ones, there's also positive ones. Um, what was that moment in life after which you knew nothing would ever be the same? I'll tell you, one of those moments positive for me was holding Grace after she was born. I thought, woo, ain't nothing gonna be the same after this, right? Um, I remember uh, kneeling um, at the altar uh, at Moody Memorial uh, First United Methodist Church in Galveston uh, during the annual conference of uh, 2000. Uh, Bishop Huey laid her hands upon me and uh, ordained me to an elder, and I thought, whoo, ain't nothing going to be the same after this. Um, I remember when I was uh, serving associate pastor at Bel Air, and the bishop called and said, uh, Peter, you're going to go to Brazoria, First United Methodist Church as the pastor. And I said, who in the world is the senior pastor at Brazoria? Because I've been an associate. And the bishop said, you. And I said, oh, ain't nothing going to be the same after this. What are those moments for you? A defining moment. A moment when you know nothing else is going to be the same after this. I'd be willing to say that for Zechariah, it was one of those moments, right? Zechariah shows up. Um, he's part of the priestly 
group. Um, he's going to take care of the temple. Did a lot of work to take care of the temple. Um, and uh, really for his work, uh, taking care of the temple was to dot the I's and cross the T's. It was to um, make the trains run on time. It was about uh, making sure things stay within the lane. You know, it was pretty much a matter of making sure that the order continued, uh, the order in the temple. Um, and it was a reputation, so he didn't do it all the time, and so he's kind of excited. This was his time, his moment, right? And he'd been prepared for these moments, right? He'd been trained by his mentor about how to light the candles, how to trim the wicks, how to burn the incense, uh, you know, how to, when you're chosen by lottery, uh, to go into the holiest of holies, what to do and what not to do. You, you do know when the priests went into the holiest of holies, they tied a, a rope uh, to their foot. Because you just really never know what was going to happen in the holiest of holies. And if for some reason, I mean, there are scripture stories about how the priests had been struck dead by the spirit of God. And they had nobody else want to go back in and get the body out. Right. So they pulled the body out with a rope. I mean, this is big stuff. But, you know, that stuff hadn't happened a long time. It's really just a formality to put the rope on your foot. You know, there hadn't been anything exciting happen in the temple a long time. It was just the day in the temple for Zechariah. But all of a sudden, Zechari- uh, all of a sudden, Gabriel shows up. I, I have to imagine that, uh, that Zechariah was thinking, hey, nobody ever told me what to do when an angel shows up. I mean, think about that, right? All of the pomp and circumstance, all the beauty and glory. I, I like this arts, uh, artist's rendition of Gabriel touching Zechariah's mouth. Now, you know that Zechariah is kind of the patron saint um, for um, uh, husbands. <laughs> Right? Because he was mute for the whole pregnancy, right? And, and don't laugh, because some of you are thinking that's not a bad deal. Um, and it's interesting, right? Um, the scripture um, says that Zechariah and Elizabeth were old. Um, you can say they were beyond the stage of walking through Target and uh, registering for things for a baby. They had let that go. They understood there's a different call. It was all right. You know, they still kind of oodled at other uh, folk who had uh, kids in, in the park pushing him along. But that's okay. We're, 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 we're priestly people. It's okay. We've got our reward. It'll be okay. They'd come to terms with it that they weren't going to have children. They were in the AARP set. And then Gabriel shows up. And I love that for Zechariah, Zechariah says, I'm old, right? You can almost say that Zechariah is also the patron saint of people who say, who say but, but, but to the Lord. Um, he says, I'm old. And Gabriel says, but I'm Gabriel, right? Um, and so Zechariah has to come to terms with the fact that in the middle of the waiting game that Israel is playing, that God has made a first communication. He has said that, Zechariah, your wife Elizabeth is going to have a son. And you're going to name him John. And he's going to be John the Baptist. And he's going to prepare the way for the Messiah to come. The waiting is over. Would you agree with me that that would be a defining moment for Zechariah? That he would know that after this moment, nothing else is going to be the same. Everything has changed. Advent is known as that season of waiting, but it's really easy for us to assume that waiting means we have to do nothing. It it, it might feel like the silent game, like when I was a kid headed off to grandmother's. You might think that there's nothing to do except just wait. But I really think that there's an active part 
of waiting. There is work that should be done while waiting. Uh, some of you know that I, uh, part of my formation as a Christian happened in a recovery community. I didn't have any issues with addiction, but I just found that these folk who were working the 12 steps in a recovery mode were really honest, authentic people. And so I found that uh, learning the Bible with them and praying them with them was, was a powerful thing. And, and there's a thing, uh, when, you, when, you, uh, when you begin the steps and you, you become sober, um, you, you recognize that your addiction is not waiting passively for you. The phrase among the crowd that I hung out with is it's doing push-ups. It's getting stronger. It's not waiting by sitting still. It's doing activity while it waits. I really do believe that God calls us to do activity while we wait. That, that waiting isn't a passive thing, but rather waiting is about bringing about more hope, more peace, more love, and more joy into the world. Uh, it's not just a passive game. Now, I like the idea around um, that there's a little bit more extra that comes with waiting for it, uh, that there's a task and a job. Advent is an extraordinary story. Can you agree with me? An extraordinary story of divine events. We have a, a star that hangs over the manger. We have shepherds that hear choirs of angels. We have wise men from far off who find their way without GPS right to where the baby is. It is a powerful story of cosmic divine events. But don't ever forget that it is also a story about very ordinary people. People like you and me. People like Elizabeth and Zechariah. Though it is a cosmic story with divine implications, there is work for you and I to do. That ordinary people have an important part to play in the Christmas story. I wanna say uh, a few words about uh, our theme. Uh, our theme has a lot to do with angels. Uh, we talk about uh, song Angels Among Us. Um, the Advent wreath talks a lot about um, uh, Zechariah and Gabriel's interaction. And you can even see here uh, on the chancel area, um, if you squint your eyes really well, artistic people tell me that this could look like an angel and uh, the angel's robe, right? Um, some of you who are really good at details have noticed that the altar has been moved back. Um, that's true. Um, uh, the altar kind of moves forward and back based upon the needs in the chancel area. If the handbells are playing, we move it forward so we can put the handbell tables behind. And if the choir is going to sing out here in the round, we push the uh, altar back. Uh, some of you are really good at details. You know that there's a huge piece of furniture that is not up here. It's usually right about here. It starts with a P, pulpit. It still exists. It's right there. I promise I will not get rid of it. It is not like Elvis that's left the building. Um, it, it will come back. Um, I, I think there's still a really important role for the pulpit to play in churches these days. But for the moment, for today, uh, I thought it was nice to have a little bit more room up here to be able to see the Christmas tree, uh, to be able to see the angel wings, and to have a focus on the altar. Our theme for Advent is a lot about angels. Now, and I gotta tell you, angels are strange, okay? Um, the angels are, are, they're not human, they're not God, they're someplace in between. Uh, in the medieval times, in the Renaissance times, artists really went wild with angelology, right? And somehow we got cute little cherub, cher cherubs, little babies with wings that play guitars or harps on clouds. I do not know where that comes in the Bible, right? 
Um, I, when I talk about angels, I'm not talking about cute little babies that are playing harps. I'm really talking about the, when you boil down the word study in the Greek and the Hebrew, angel really means messenger. And so an angel is a messenger from God, a messenger from heaven. You know, Gabriel says in our scripture passage that I have heard the words of God and God told me to come and speak to you these words. And you would agree with me that with any communication, it's a two-way street. That if an angel breaks through heaven so that we can see God present in earth, then it's true that we also get a glimpse of what heaven's doing. Throughout this series, we're going to encourage you to use social media, uh, whether it's Twitter or Facebook um, or Instagram, or whether it's just knocking on the door of your neighbor. Um, we, we want you to use some of these images. We'll be posting the image of the altar and uh, encouraging you with the hashtag more hope, more peace, more love, and more joy. You see, there's something I've learned um, in the work of caring for others, that everyone's waiting. You just got to figure out what they're waiting for. And sometimes they're waiting for good things, and sometimes they're waiting for difficult things, whether it's the results from a doctor or for the divorce lawyer to call uh, or, or for whether or not FEMA is going to send you a check. And everybody, everybody appreciates someone who will sit with them and wait with them. I want you to see yourself uh, and see this moment you know, sometimes we wait and we say, you know, when the lottery hits, it'll be a defining moment when I know that nothing that comes after it will ever be the same. I really do believe that every morning we get up is a defining moment. It's a defining moment where we can decide that, that everything that comes after will be different because of the love of God and the call on our lives and the grace of Jesus Christ. And so instead of waiting for angels to show up, I want to suggest that this Advent season, that you might be a messenger of God. Who is waiting in your sphere of influence? And how might you bring hope to their lives? You can say, well, preacher, I'm, I'm not a pastor. I don't know how to do that stuff. Hope is easy. Hope is a Facebook message. Hope is a, a text at the right moment. Hope is an invitation to lunch. Hope is a handwritten card that says, I'm thinking about you. Who might God be calling, how might God be calling you to bring hope from heaven to earth for someone who's waiting around you? Uh, a little bit more about the feathers and the wings. Um, in modern theology, feather, feathers symbolize the spirit of God. F feathers are uh, the ability to span any distance between heaven and earth. Or to put it differently, uh, it, it, um, feathers are about the freedom of flight uh, to new heights to claim God's possibilities for our lives and for our world. I hope that you lean into all the beautiful metaphors that feathers can have in our life as we think about where God's calling us next. And don't be afraid to use hashtags. I know, um, I'm just old enough to really not understand Twitter. So if you don't understand it either, that's cool. I'm just gonna say hashtag a lot and see if it works. But feel free not to get stuck in the hashtag, but to also offer hope to those around you. Because it is that message in the midst of waiting of Advent that hope is on the way. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen.